Okay, well, if that wasn't enough, you're in for an even bigger treat this morning. Uh, my niece, this is Abby Smith, Some, most of you probably know her, is going to recite the Shema for us in Hebrew. And so, Abby, here's what I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think that you learned this from your father and that you say it at night. Is yes. that right? How long did it take you to learn it? Like two weeks, maybe. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> Shema Israel, Adonai Lahinu, Adonai Ahad, Vehafta et Adonai Laheha, Uvehol of Afka, Uvehol Navshaha, Uvehol Meodeha, Vehayu Hadavarim Haele, Asheranohi Mitzavkayon, Alvaveha, Vashinantam Lebaneha, Uvedi Balterbaum, Veshivta Bevateha, Velectaha Baderek, Veshovna Bevateha, Uve Komeha, Ukshartam Leot Aliadeha, Vehayu Le Totafot Beneneha, Uktavtam Omezuzo Uvishalreha, Amen. Impressive. Would you stand with us and let's recite the Shema together as we say it in worship on Sundays. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Chad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You can have a seat. The words of the Shema as we recite them in worship on Sunday, you can find in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are a response to a question that is posed to Jesus by someone who is referred to as an expert in the law. So I might imagine, or you might imagine, a seminary professor or a seminary student Someone who is studied in the ways of the faith and they want to make sure that the rules of the faith are implemented or at least they are prioritized. In Matthew and Mark, the question that is posed of Jesus is what is the greatest command? In Luke, the question is different. So our scripture passage for this morning is from Luke chapter 10 and I'm going to begin with verse 25. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus' teacher. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. So the question that is posed in Luke's gospel is what must I do to inherit eternal life? In the text meeting this week, the pastors agreed that this seminary student is essentially asking, how do I get my best life now? So it's, he wants a guarantee of a good life that will begin now and extend into eternity, a good life that will last. Jesus' response to the question is then to ask a question. He asks the seminary student, what do you think? How do you read the law? And then the, the lawyer's response or the seminary student's response is to quote Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Now this was not an uncommon response for a rabbi at that time. The video that we watched, which was a cartoon depiction of two rabbis who lived in Israel during the first century BCE, 
So that was during the reign of King Herod, just before the time that Jesus was teaching. Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel were friendly adversaries. Friendly adversaries. We need more examples of those today. While Shammai and Hillel often disagreed, their schools were in continual dialogue. They weren't hoping for the extinction or the annihilation of the other. Instead, they both knew that the tension that existed between them made each of them stronger. They were friendly adversaries. So when they were asked the question of how do you you read the law, what's the priority in the law, Hillel, who is referred to as a realist, he was the second rabbi in the video, would answer just as the lawyer answers Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. But Shammai, who is referred to as an idealist, would answer the question, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and then be holy as God in heaven is holy. The lawyer in Luke chapter 10 is disclosing to Jesus whose school he belongs to, Hillel's, the love your neighbor as yourself school. And Jesus is disclosing the same Rabbi Jesus is saying that he agrees, love your neighbor as yourself. One of the ways that the partic this particular disagreement between Shammai and Hillel was resolved in subsequent years was to say that in this life, in the here and now, the priority is to be about love of neighbor. But in the life to come, the priority will then be holiness, being holy as God is holy. Jesus knows what his disciples need in the here and now that will provide sustaining life. The answer to that question is love. Love is to be the guiding principle. Love is what the disciples need. Love is what you and I need. A story is told of Desmond Tutu who was teaching at Emory University in the early 1990s. This was after he had done some work on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. Students who were in his class said that the theme of love provided the context for every single class, and they began to complain. They said, we want more. We want a different topic. We want something else. One afternoon, Professor Tutu addressed the class in this way. He said, I hear that some of you are grumbling that I need to move on from talking about the love of God. The stall in the progress of the class is not my fault. If you would get it, I would move on. <laughs> I think that Jesus' point with the lawyer and the disciples who overhear is similar. Love of God and love of neighbor. Get this, and then we'll move on to higher things, like holiness. But for now, love is the priority. Love of God is the first part of this response. So it's love God with everything that you have. No compartment of your life is to be withheld 
It all belongs. All of who I am, all of what I do falls under God's claim. And the second part of the greatest command is love of neighbor. In Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is asked by the seminary student to name this greatest command, he bridges the two commands with the words, the second is like it. Which is to say, you can't love the Lord with all that you've got and not love your neighbor well. The two are one and the same. I was listening to a podcast this week where conservative pundit Eric Erickson was talking about how he and his family were not only criticized, but they were attacked in 2016 when he publicly said that he would not support the president. Three men appeared on his front porch, the front porch of his house, to intimidate him. His kids would come home from school many days crying because people at school had told them that their father was wrong, and they were even chased through the grocery store one afternoon by a man who was telling them how much he disagreed with their father. But the most startling thing that Erickson had to say in this podcast was that when his wife was telling her own Bible study in her church, that she herself had been diagnosed with lung cancer and asking for their prayers, When that Bible study ended, when it concluded, one of the women in the study approached her and said, I'll be praying for you, but at the same time, I'd like to slap your husband across his face. And that wasn't the only church member that went after the Erickson family. So they stopped going to church for a while. Atlanta pastor Don McLaughlin has written a book that is titled Love First. Love first. And in it, he reminds that the first letter of John in the Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. However, he wonders if perfect fear hasn't cast out all love from the church. I don't know if that's the case, but I think we better check because we sit in a pretty fearful climate in 2018. McLaughlin's book is a reclaiming of love as foundational for the church, which is what we believe that the Messiah taught. And it's an important part of why we recite the Messiah's version of the Shema every week. Because we believe that love is to be first. Love is the priority. Love is foundational. When you don't know what to say, when you don't know what to do, choose love. Love is the right course. Love contains the right words. Love is to define us. You know, too often, my impulse to define myself is by what I dislike or what I hate, that's a rough place to start, to begin to divine myself by saying, well, I'm not that, and I'm definitely not them, rather than starting with the very thing that the two great commands have in common. We are to be for God, and we are to be for our neighbor. And another word of caution I'm sometimes quick to define myself by what I think. (laughs) And I can't find 
anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus encourages this impulse in his disciples. Instead, it is, if you are one of God's own, then do something. Do something with love about it. Ryan taught last week from the passage where uh, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? And the response that the resurrected Christ gives to Peter is, if you do love me, then what? Then feed my sheep. It's not, if you do love me, then believe these important tenets that I'm going to write down for you, and you make sure that everybody believes these things exactly. No, no. It's feed my sheep. It's love other people. Age has helped me on this. When I consider what I believed, what I thought 20 years ago, well, either those thoughts or those beliefs were incomplete or my thinking and my beliefs has completely changed because thinking changes, but belovedness does not change. And so understanding ourselves to be loved and acting out of that love is always, always, always the right way to go. My children are no longer little. They are teenagers and young adults. And I've learned, I think, by parenting the first child the wrong way. Oh, poor oldest children. I've learned that the best parenting stance is to be curious about what my children think and how they think instead of being afraid that what they believe or how they think might be wrong because thinking changes what we believe shifts, and we grow in our understanding. What doesn't change, what doesn't shift, what will help them to see the world more accurately is my love for them. And so I want them to know about that love, and I want them to know about God's love for them. Progressive political pundit Sally Cohn was told by people who work for Twitter that she has the worst internet trolls out there. The very worst internet trolls. And so what she did was she decided to sit down and call them up on the telephone. Not to attack them, but instead to connect with them, to talk to them about what they, what they had written, what they had posted on the internet. And she concluded two things from her conversations with her internet trolls. One, she said that no one thinks that they are mean or hateful, not even internet trolls. She said, we think that we are attacking someone who is mean and hateful, but we don't think that we are mean or hurtful. And the second thing that she said that, is that we believe that no one is paying attention to what we're posting online. She found that often what is behind hurtful comments is really deep pain, difficult illness, broken relationships, something that would respond to a little care, a little compassion, reaching out and connecting in love. Could it really be that all of our activity on the internet and even elsewhere, the places where we are too busy in our everyday lives, could it really be that all that busyness, all that activity is really robbing us of relationship? That while a telephone conversation 
could be an improvement on posting something on the internet, nothing really beats actual face-to-face physical contact with one another where we can more accurately see how our words affect one another, how our actions affect one another, where we can really love one another well. Two pastors in Colorado have written a book that is titled The Art of Neighboring. And in that book, they ask the question, how do you love your neighbors? Do you love your actual neighbors, the ones who reside on your street, the ones who reside around your home? Do you even know your actual neighbors is what they ask in the book. The main exercise of the book is to fill out a chart that looks like a tic-tac-toe board. Um, It looks like that. And so in the middle of that chart, you are to put your home, the home where you live, and then surrounding that home are the eight houses that are closest to you. And then three questions in each of the boxes to ask yourself about the people who live around you. The first question is, do you know their names? Do you know the names of the people who live in the eight houses that are around you? The second question is, do you know something that you've learned about them in a conversation? like what they do for a living or what their hobbies are. And then the third question is, do you know something really deep about them? Do you know something about their faith? Do you know something about what they fear? Do you know something about what motivates them to do what they do? And so the pastors who wrote this book called The Art of Neighboring say that in teaching this particular concept, they have learned that 10% of us can fill out the names of all eight, eight homes that live around us. And that only 3% of us know something conversational about our neighbors. But here's the kicker, here's the clincher. Less than 1% of us know something deep about the people who live in the homes that sit closest to us. There's a scripture passage that was brought to my attention a couple of times this week. And when I hear a biblical principle or a scripture passage in repetition, my ears perk up because I know it's important and I'm supposed to pay attention. And the scripture passage that I heard three times this week was Jeremiah 29 verse 7, which says this, Seek the welfare of the city that you are in, because when it prospers, you prosper. Seek the welfare of the people who are around you because when they're doing well, then you're doing well. All of us have a place. All of us have a home. And we are called to live out our faith in the places where we reside. The best way to care for your place, the best way to care for your home is not with good landscaping, or proper updates to the structure, but the best way to care for your place is to care for the people who live in that place and the people who live around that place, to love those people well. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you are ruler of the universe. You have created this world and everything in it, and you continue to create. You love us well. We seek to return love with the whole of our being, with our heart, with our soul, with our strength and our mind. 
We want your love to reverberate into every compartment of our lives and to extend and echo out into all our relationships. Each of us has a place or a home. So Lord, I ask that you would bless the homes that are represented here today. Would each of those homes be and become a haven of peace? And use all of us to bless our neighbors. We ask this in the name of Yeshua, who instructs us to love all and to love well. Amen.